Welcome to Zero Knowledge, a podcast where we explore the latest in blockchain technology and the decentralized web. The show is hosted by me, Anna. And me, Frederick. In this episode, we sit down with Benedict Bunz to deep dive into bulletproofs and verifiable delay functions. Hello and welcome to uh, Benedict Bunz to this episode on uh, bulletproofs. I'm super excited about this topic. I know you work on not only bulletproofs, but a lot of in- other interesting things. I mean, we'll get some of that too. Uh, but maybe you can just start with a little bit of an intro of yourself and talk a little bit about what Bulletproofs are. Yeah, cool. Thanks for having me here. Um, yeah, my name is Benedict Bunz. I'm, I just finished basically the second year of my PhD at Stanford, where I work with Dan Bonet on, you know, sort of generally applied cryptography with a special focus on, on cryptocurrency. It's really sort of, you know, the the technical details of, of cryptocurrencies and, and the, the cryptography, the things that, you know, make it secure. So my focus on, is on that. And, and, um, you know, in, in recent times, I've been, for example, working on bulletproofs that I guess we're going to cover today. And then also, you know, other stuff like verifiable delay functions, you know, light clients and, and sort of a whole variety of topics. Cool. And this is actually the second time you're on this podcast. We had a very short interview with you on the Zcon Zero episode. Um, I'm really excited to get a chance to continue our sort of series on actual zero-knowledge proofs and zero-knowledge technologies. Bulletproofs very much fits into that category. Do you want to maybe just start off by helping us understand what bulletproofs are? Yeah. So bulletproofs is a zero-knowledge proof. So, you know, they're Zero knowledge proof is, is sort of the general uh, technology, and then there's sort of many different flavors of it. Like one flavor of it is a snark, another one is a stark, and yet another one is bulletproofs. And you know, maybe as a recap, what is a zero knowledge proof? Like in a in a zero knowledge proof, I can prove you that something is true without telling you why it's true. So I can prove to you, for example, that um, I know where Waldo is without giving you any information about where Waldo is. And you will be convinced that this picture has Waldo on it, like there's a Waldo here. Uh, but And you, you're also convinced that I know where Waldo is, but you have no idea where it is unless you know you, you figure it out yourself. And one way that this is like used, this is used in Bitcoin is that I can have a uh, transaction which doesn't have, or in, in cryptocurrencies that I have like a, a, a cryptographic transaction where a lot of the details are hidden, but I can still prove to you that the transaction is valid without giving you any information about why it's valid. And um, Bulletproofs is one particular zero-knowledge proof that has uh, sort of different trade-offs to other, other zero-knowledge proofs. So the proofs are, are very short, um, they're not quite as efficient as snarks, but they snarks have this downside that uh, when you use snarks, there's this this sort of trusted setup, which creates toxic waste, and um, uh, and the problem is if this is not done correctly, or if someone you know you need basically you need to trust someone to create a so-called proving key and a verification key 
And if they cheat, then they can create proofs about statements that aren't true. So they can, for example, prove to you that they know where Waldo is without actually knowing where Waldo is or without there even being a Waldo. They can prove to you that a transaction is valid, but actually they just created money out of thin air. So that is obviously a, not a very good thing. And, you know, there's, you can sort of try to circumvent that, but it's, it's really, really difficult sort of with snarks and, uh, bulletproofs doesn't, do not have this trusted setup. So that is sort of the, the, the big benefit of them. Um, yeah. I, I want to dig into trust, the trusted setup in, in more detail soon, but you just mentioned something that ZK snarks, they generate a toxic waste. What do you mean by that? What is so that? this is well, this is the trusted setup. Ah. Um, sort of, you know, this is sort of the the the, the terminology that Zcash uses is that the the setup, um, this ceremony like generates you know toxic waste in the sense that if that toxic waste isn't discarded, if the person who who does the trusted setup doesn't you know delete that, um, oh, then. Yeah, then, wow. you know, this trusted, this toxic waste can be used to create the false it's proof. To the toxic waste like software and hardware and... It's, 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 it's a secret key, a secret special key, you know, like a 32-byte key. And if you have that, then you can um, prove whatever you want. And the way that it's usually done to sort of, you know, prevent, like, you know, you could trust, you know, you could get, I don't know, the Dalai Lama to do this and, and, you know, everybody trusts that he's uh, a computer expert and will, you know, do this properly. But, uh, the, the other way to do this is to say, like, you know, we'll get a bunch of people together and they have to do the trusted setup together in such a way that as long as one of them is honest, so if, as long as they don't all cheat or like collude together, then, uh, you know, the, the toxic waste is sort of properly discarded. Um, but, you know, this is extremely complicated and, and, you know, takes a lot of time and has, has, uh, you know, it's basically costly, um, but doable. So Zcash did this and, you know, Zcash works. Uh, but, you know, the sort of, there's downsides to it and, and bulletproofs do not have this downside. They don't have trusted setups. They don't produce this toxic waste. Exactly. They are faster. No, so that's a very, you know, <laughs> Like, Maybe something we can touch on later on. Right, like faster is, is uh, you know, that's sort of like a 10-dimensional question, okay, right? Gotcha. Uh, and in some ways, they're clearly slower, and in other ways, they're uh, sort of, they're faster. Well, we have, the, we have the whole episode to kind of go into the, the nuances of this, but um, maybe we start with a little bit of a history of what, where the bulletproof idea came from. So, um, so the Bitcoin core developers, Peter Woolley, Andrew Peltzer, and Greg Maxwell, they sort of approached us with this problem. They had invented this thing called, or Greg Maxwell had invented this thing called a confidential transaction. So what is a confidential transaction? It is a confidential transaction looks like a Bitcoin transaction with the one difference that the amounts that are being transferred are encrypted. So no one is able to see you know, how much is being transferred. The problem now is obviously how do miners check that the transaction is valid? And, you know, now if you've listened to maybe a couple of the previous episodes, right, you should know the, the solution for this is a zero-knowledge proof, right? I prove to you that the transaction is valid. I prove to you that, you know, the sum of the inputs to the transaction is equal to the sum of the outputs. So there's no new money created. 
And uh, I, I do this without giving you any additional information. The problem is that the zero-knowledge proofs that they used, um, it's called, this is like a special case and it's called a range proof. They were very, uh, sort of, they were pretty large, you know. It would mean like that every transaction is like eight kilobytes, which really isn't, you know, sort of uh, limits scalability, which is another big issue in cri cryptocurrency. So, you know, it really would have made transactions a lot more uh, costly and the fees would be higher and sort of, um, the question that they came to us with is, is there a zero knowledge proof and especially one without a trusted setup where the proofs are shorter? You know, can, can you come up with, uh, with a problem? So they approached, uh, my advisor, Dan Bonet and, and me, um, and, and sort of gave us this problem. And, and I was a new PhD problem student sort of looking for, you know, interesting problems in that space. And, uh, then we started working on this and when we found this, this amazing prior work by, people from the University College London, Jens Grothes group, um, and uh, which had sort of, you know, gotten us um, a lot of the way there. And then, you know, we, we sort of improved on that work and used sort of techniques from that work um, uh, to, to um, uh, develop bulletproofs, which happened to work extremely well for confidential transactions. But it then turned out that, you know, this is also not just doesn't just work for confidential transactions, but you could sort of use it for for anything like anything where you can use a snark, you can use a bulletproof instead. And uh, that doesn't mean that you should use a bulletproof instead because, you know, snarks are in some ways they're way more efficient, um, but at least you can. And, and uh, you know, so that's how sort of this started. What so? What year was that? This is two years ago. Two, no, two no, years this ago? was like a year ago. So, well, like you know, you work on it for a year, and then a year ago we published it. Uh huh. So we 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 I think we put out the paper in like November twenty seventeen, which is you know it's it's quite cool and amazing about the space how how quickly things you know get deployed in practice and and you know this is not not usually the case for academic work that. Things get, you know, rolled out that quickly, get, get that much attention that quickly. And I think, you know, this speaks to sort of the cryptocurrency space really being, being interested and, and open into, to new academic ideas, which is, I think is amazing. Yeah. And an eagerness to sort of explore new stuff and, and try to innovate. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Like and, you know, privacy is a big issue, always hasn't been, been a big issue for blockchain. So. I think everyone is sort of keen on trying to use whatever they can to to just make it better <laughs> yeah we also we spoke yesterday um briefly about this the naming and how that was very well thought i don't know bulletproof has this awesome sound to it and it's like i don't know there's something i, I know this is going to sound sort of funny but it's like i wonder like how did you come up with that name basically yeah so so and has uh, that helped <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it helps. Branding is important, you know. The it's it's um, I think it, it it actually is really important. So the um, yeah, no, a friend of mine. I was like, you know, we had, we had written the paper, I had the idea, and then you know, I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, Shashank Agrawal, who um, is also a, a crypto researcher that I work with, and um, and he, you know, I was like saying like, hey, we have this new zero knowledge proof. Like, do you have any ideas? Like, you know spitballing ideas and uh for for names and and he said yeah why don't you name it bulletproofs which because it's it's a short proof you know and then sort of it's it's fast i guess and 
uh, but it's also, also it's secure, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it's really good. Um, the you know, it doesn't have the the toxic waste, the the sort of the the hole there, um, and you know, so that was sort of the name, which you know, in some ways it's a little bit gimmicky, but you know, in other ways it's it's sort of it it eases up the the, the conversation about it, right? You know, otherwise often papers get referred to by you you know you take the initials of the authors and and add the year which which makes it you know like gkr 87 or whatever and like you know if you're if you're really into the community you might know uh what that is um uh, i think gkr was later but the <laughs> uh, but you know the the sort of for for the general public sort of you know nice names like snarks or starks or bulletproofs right like you know that 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 definitely helps. So digging in a little bit more into how bulletproofs actually work and like what the details are, I'm just curious. I mean, if we set it in this landscape, we've talked a little bit about in the intro episode how there's interactive zero-knowledge proofs and then non-interactive zero-knowledge proofs. ZK snarks are non-interactive, so are like most other popular ones. Bulletproofs is non-interactive. Yeah, it's actually interesting. It's a so it's it's not that's not 1000% true technically because it's it's an interactive proof that you can turn into a non-interactive one um and that's actually true for a, a lot of the protocols there's sort of a generic way of turning these interactive protocols into non-interactive protocols but it seems like really you know that um non-interactive proofs especially in the blockchain settings have a lot more advantages because the the idea is right an interactive proof requires a specific person, like it's, you know, me uh, trying to convince someone else and they get to sort of ask questions and, you know, then I answer them. But in the blockchain setting, right, like, you know, everybody wants to check the proof, right? It's not just one person that wants to check it. So you really need something that you can just write down, like a, a proof that you can write down and then everybody can read the proof and, and check it. And that's sort of what a non-interactive proof is. So zero-knowledge proof or like proving functions are built on these circuits. It's usually something like implementers of this talk about like this circuitry and when these circuits are slow or they're hard to construct or whatever. Um, what is it in a bulletproof that separates it from like a snark? Is it, is it some, some aspect of this circuit structure or is it something else? Yeah, so, so the circuit is usually the way that you express what you're trying to prove. So say I want to prove that, you know, the this transaction is valid. You know, this is sort of a very generic statement, so you need to make it more specific. And basically the way, like the circuit is almost like the, the programming language or the almost, like it's more like the assembly the, um, so, you know, you write down that statement in terms of like multiplications and additions, right? You know, you really break it down to the core. And then you can take that circuit and then create a proof sort of, you know, the basically the, what you do is you write down the circuit and, and the zero knowledge proof is I know secrets inputs to the circuit that at the end of the circuit, you know, in, in if you speak in electronics, like the light turns on. Or uh, in math, right, you know, the, the output is one off the circuit, right? You know, it's it's a bunch of multiplication gates and, and addition gates. And then at the end, what comes out is one. And what I proved to you is that I know values to the circuit such that the output is one. I'm not going to tell you what these values are, but I know them. 
And um, sort of this circuit architecture, um, you know, this works for, you know, you can take the circuit and then produce a snark that you know the inputs for the circuit, or you can produce a bulletproof. So what is different, the differences are in the properties, like how long is the proof? How long does it take to check it? How complicated is it? Or like how long does it take to create it? Um, you know, th there, that is really where the differences are. And for example, like snarks are usually shorter and easier to check than bulletproofs. But bulletproofs are still sort of, you know, still, still very short. You know, that's the main sort of property that we're aiming for, especially compared to more like, you know, the, the solutions that were used before that didn't have a trusted setup there. They're way, way shorter. So this is sort of the, the key property that we were aiming for. And why do we care about short proofs? Well, you know, they're sort of in a blockchain, everybody you know, it's, it's decentralized. So everybody is supposed to have the blockchain and, and read it. And if suddenly the blockchain gets bigger and bigger, then, you know, everybody needs to download it and, and send it to each other. And that really creates bottlenecks. And, and that's why we care about making the, everything that is on the blockchain. So for example, the, the transactions and, and the proofs as short as possible. So short uh, here means like few bytes. Few bytes, yeah. That's it. Literally means you know, bulletproofs are are basically like less than, you know, one. They're one to two kilobytes is is like the order of magnitude. And snarks are like two hundred bytes. You know, talking and. But so conceptually, it's sort of like you avoid this trusted setup by including more information in the proof. Mm, Could you say that? No, that's. I mean, it's not impossible. That we could have a proof that is as short as uh, a snark without a trusted setup, but you know, it just sort of we just don't know yet how to do it. Of course, like you know, basically a trusted setup gives the 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 designer of the proof more freedom, right? You know, this is a thing that you can do now, and and uh, the the trusted setup can do some things. And like once you remove that freedom, you make the task harder. So it it sort of seems natural that you have to do some trade-offs there. But, you know, like there's no, you know, there's no reason to say, you know, we can't get even better, right? So we'll we'll see sort of what, what happens. <laughs> so going back to like placing this in, in the universe of zero-knowledge proofs, how does this compare to, you know, we've talked a little bit already about snarks, but there's starks and there's there's these other things like where... Does it live in, and how does it compare to these things? I would say, you know, right, like compared to snarks, I would say you, you should sort of use a bulletproof when you want to use a snark, but you don't want to do the trusted setup. And it's okay if the proofs are a little bit like bigger and, and um, take longer to check. And so, for example, compared to starks, the proofs are a lot shorter than starks. So starks is another proof system that doesn't have a trusted setup. Um, and there the comparison is, is a little bit more difficult because Starks are even larger. You know, they're significantly larger, you know, on, on the order of like 100 or 200 kilobytes. And this becomes, you know, something that where well, you wouldn't want to do one Stark per transaction that, you know, like if every transaction is 200 kilobytes, then, you know, this, this really becomes uh, a problem. But Starks and Snarks have this amazing property that You can prove, um, sort of, I can prove to you that some really, really complicated statements. So, for example, I can prove to you that 
I've checked the whole blockchain or I've checked all of the transactions on the blockchain and all of them were, were valid. And now to check the proof, this is faster than if you've even had all the transactions and checked them individually. So, right, I can, I can go through all of the transactions, you know, one by one and, you know, check that they're correct. Check the signature, check that, you know, the inputs and outputs are correct. And the amazing thing, the amazing property that both Snarks and Starks have and, and Bulletproofs do not have is that you can create a proof that is A, uh, that is uh, shorter than all of these transactions. That's also true for Bulletproofs. But what's even more important is that checking the proof might take a millisecond versus checking all of the transactions takes an hour. So now you have this, this compression property where I can... I, I don't even need to write, I can give you sort of the blockchain or I can give you just the, 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 the head of the blockchain and then prove that everything before that, that you don't even need to look at was done correctly. Um, and this sort of uh, allows for amazing, you know, cool new applications where you have, um, you have sort of clients that don't even sort of, they don't even see the whole blockchain but they know that you know this 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 one hash of the blockchain is the correct hash. So I can you know now you have the block basically the whole blockchain and you checked it and it's like a 32 byte hash and and um, this is really where you know for example Starks uh, shine and um, Snarks can also do that. But again, you have the trusted setup. Uh, something we've touched on a little bit on this podcast before is uh, stateless clients. And when you start talking about stateless clients, usually some sort of zero-knowledge proof comes in in the discussion because of ex exactly this property, that it's sort of a compression. Exactly. So that, that uh, is exactly factor. what I was uh, talking about. And, and the amazing thing, thing is here, you, you don't need to... So here comes another sort of uh, technicality, is that for these stateless clients, you don't even care about the zero-knowledge. You care about the proof part, right? So... I don't want to hide from you the rest of the blockchain. It's not that I don't want to give it to you. It just is more efficient to give you a proof that it was correctly, right? So you don't need sort of all of these proofs have sort of a zero-knowledge variant and a non-zero-knowledge variant. And the, for, for a lot of these applications, you don't even care about the zero-knowledge part of it. You just care about the, um, the compression part of it. And uh, so bulletproofs are not, you know, you can shrink the size, but checking the proof will still be sort of, if I give you a proof that, you know, I check the whole blockchain, then I can give you sort of checking that will be as, as long as, as checking the whole blockchain or maybe even, you know, uh, maybe even longer. Um, so, so for stateless clients, bulletproofs are not a good application. Uh, they are not a good tool. Um, but for something like a transaction, you know, I want to prove to you that a transaction where I actually want to do the zero knowledge part, right? Where I want to hide the details. That is where, where bulletproofs are, are um, really valuable. Uh, going back to Snarks and Starks, the image I have of Starks, I, I'm not actually sure where I've gotten this from, but that Starks is more intended for general computation, like prove the, that this program was executed correctly. I mean, that's that's what all of them do, but that Starks allow for larger programs. So, yeah, you know, it's it's really hard to you know sort of there. You know, the the differences are nuanced, and and 
I I wouldn't necessarily say that. The weird thing is that Starks aren't necessarily sort of they aren't the only thing that work for larger programs, right? Or doing that sort of a larger general purpose computation uh, works. The thing though is that that Starks are fairly large, right? So they only really make sense for larger programs. It's not that they only work for that, but they sort of this is where they sort of shine and where they make sense. So you can do that with a and you can do that with a snark and you 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 know. But uh, I feel like this is sort of the reason why why Starks are are sort of presented in that way is because this is where they they shine the most, right? That makes sense. Um, so this is sort of their distinction. You've mentioned. Snarks, Starks, Bulletproofs. Is there anything else? Yeah, there's a, a very good question. You know, there's um, a lot of other things. So, for example, there's Hyrex, there's Ligero. Um, for example, you know, Hyrex, like the thing is they're sort of in the more in the middle of the trade-off space. So, you know, Hyrex has like a good trade-off between, you know, the size of the proof and, and the verification time. And, and Ligero, for example, is really interesting because it's, it's uh, creating the proof is very short, right? You know, for all the other ones, uh, sort of creating the proof is is somewhat tedious. Um, you know, there again, Bulletproofs has, for example, compared to Snarks, uh, Bulletproofs has the advantage. It takes maybe roughly the same time, but it requires a lot less memory. So you can sort of do it on a smaller machine, which which may be nice. Um, Ligero, for example, yeah, is, is fast to compute and, and, you know, this is a really hot space. So, you know, new stuff is coming out and, and I know lots of people are working on it in the academic community and, you know, partially driven, driven by cryptocurrencies, right? Like zero knowledge proofs have been around for like since, uh, the eighties, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, this is really being driven by, by, sort of these new applications because previously, you know, it was a cute sort of theoretic concept and, and now, you know, this can actually be used in, in, in public and, and secure sort of billions of dollars, which um, it's motivating. is motivating. Yeah, it's motivating, <laughs> right? You know, this. I have heard of, uh, I was talking to uh, Howard Wu and uh, he mentioned they'd worked with a uh, big bank that was like they uh, had a zero knowledge proof structure to um, basically interact with on behalf of customers with other entities so if like an insurance firm will only give you an insurance if you have more than a million bucks in your bank accounts then the bank can generate a zero knowledge proof that they have that without saying how much money they have yeah no there are definitely a lot of other applications to to um zero knowledge proofs um for example one is voting is, is like a common one that is referred to right i want to prove to you that my vote is it was done correctly and that but I don't want to tell you what I voted for, right? Um, so that's a very, uh, like, sort of a, an application. But, you know, for, for, as you were talking about banks, so we have this paper on, on um, how Bitcoin banks, so Bitcoin exchanges, basically, can prove that they're solvent without giving up any information about, you know, how much does each customer have? How much uh, Bitcoin do they have in total? Which con- addresses do they control? All of that remains private, but they can still prove that they have more money in their Bitcoin addresses than they owe to their customers. And the cool thing is that what I really liked about this paper um, is that this is something that you might want for your normal, like your fiat bank, right? Um, but there's sort of no way 
like even even conceptually there's no way that they could do that because there's not not like this public ledger right the blockchain which you can sort of make prove the statement against and um you know here sort of the 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 idea that that bitcoin and 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 all these other currencies are cryptocurrencies you know that they have this cryptographic ledger um really makes this possible and and uh yeah i i have a little side question before we move on something that i know is like a problem in this space and that i was fascinated about when i first found out was that Uh, we spoke a little bit about these circuits and you said like, yeah, you could design your circuit and sort of use any proving, you know, app structure to, to run it mm-hmm. kind of, uh, but there's no standardized format of how to write such a circuit. So you can't actually like define it once and use different proving yeah. algorithms on it. Yeah. So, I mean, and the statement that I said was, was, was true in theory and practice, you know, it's probably not. You know, have, you, no, have you seen any work towards like trying to standardize that absolutely. assembly language? So, of- so there was a um, just a couple of months ago there was um, a, a workshop in um, in Boston and Cambridge uh, where a lot of the people that work on zero knowledge proofs, you know, a lot of the academics and uh, people from industry came together. And the goal was to standardize zero knowledge proofs. It was exactly that sort of work on that. And, you know, all of the big names, you know, uh, Shafi Goldwasser, who was, who, who got the Turing Award, the, the Nobel Prize for Computer Science, partially for inventing, uh, zero knowledge proofs was there. And we, you know, we started sort of working and we've put out some documents and, and, you know, like working towards standardization. I'm a little bit, while well, I think, you know, this is, uh, in some ways i think it's a good idea in other ways i think i'm you should be cautious because sort of you don't want to stifle innovation right and you don't want to say you know this is the one thing that we use and uh no one you know should should use anything else maybe it's pro- a bit premature i think it's a little bit it's a little standard. bit premature right because there's still you know there's papers still coming out you know this is still being developed and and we don't know what you know what what will come out in the future so I think you have to be sort of strike a good balance. And I think, you know, a lot of work is just has to go and, and is going to in into sort of tooling. So, you know, application development, making it easy to use these tools, right? Like, you know, abstracting away this this language. I hope that, you know, in the future, right, you, you shouldn't write, like spend as much time writing these circuits or these things should become... You know, right? Like maybe you can write your zero knowledge proof system in Rust or whatever, and then it gets compiled down. There's some work on this, you know, taking C, but you know, it's just not not efficient and and uh, doesn't work as well as you would hope. But this is sort of, uh, I think this is still coming. Like a little bit more patience, uh, but I think this is sort of really really important work, making it easier to use. So we've been talking sort of about general bulletproofs and where it lives in comparison to other um zero knowledge actually what do you call these zero knowledge so there's applications zero no, knowledge proofs you just call bulletproofs a zero knowledge proof yeah it's a zero knowledge okay. proof so the uh, and then there's also like technically it's a zero knowledge um argument uh-huh. there's like proofs and argument uh arguments uh and all, everything sort of that you see like so snark means succinct non-interactive argument of knowledge and both is technically also an argument um but that's 
is sort of the it's really only a technical <laughs> detail and uh it doesn't matter all of these all things right. are zero knowledge proofs okay so or so well more technically they're zero knowledge proof systems and then you can use them to create a zero knowledge proof so so far we've been talking about zero knowledge proof systems yes. but where like at what point does this apply to blockchain and because i as we've heard there's all these examples that are not blockchain how is that interacting how are you seeing these systems starting to interact more with blockchain yeah so so sort of you have these zero knowledge proof systems and then you have applications that sort of require zero knowledge proof and uh a lot of these applications are for um blockchains right so you can prove that you know as i was saying or the um you can prove that a transaction is valid without giving up any information about why it is valid right and 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 everybody is convinced and 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 uh, you know is, is sort of you know all the miners need to check transactions right they need to check that a transaction is valid they need to check the signature um and in some ways a signature so a cryptographic signature is a zero knowledge is a special kind of zero knowledge proof where you prove that you know you basically prove that I know the private key to this bitcoin or this cryptocurrency address and um, but I'm not going to tell you what the key is because otherwise you know you could sort of create signatures yourself you know I don't want to give that up and but but here sort of you know this is this proves to you that that I know this and and also you know uh and through that I can authorize a transaction and that's was that sort of the first thinking about applying zero knowledge proofs into blockchain that's no that's you know that's a sort of just uh you know saying that even even blockchains that don't use zero knowledge proofs they basically use something very uh that comes from zero knowledge akin proofs like yeah, yeah akin to it right these the signatures that are used are basically zero knowledge proofs and uh the other thing is you know once you so in in, in bitcoin a transaction is so most cryptocurrencies a transactions you you can see you know everybody says like in the beginning everybody says you know bitcoin is private or whatever you know it's it has a lot of privacy but that's actually not really true because you can see which address spends to which address and how much is being sent and there's been a lot of work on on you know showing that you might not know who this address belongs to but there's been a lot of work showing on on de-anonymizing de them like you know showing this this address belongs to silk road or this drug market or this address belongs to this company belongs to coinbase or whatever and um so and there's been a lot of academic and uh, work and and also now there's companies and the FBI actually kind of likes bitcoin for that reason because it's able to trace the payments really well and then you know say you receive in in some maybe distant maybe not so distant future you receive your your uh payment your 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 salary in your favorite cryptocurrency and then that payment is is public on the blockchain right so your salary is public on the blockchain so everybody can see how much you're making or say your company and you want to buy i don't know um you want to buy your supplies right uh negotiated you've yeah, negotiated you, you, yeah say you're McDonald's and you want to buy ketchup from Heinz right yeah. like they probably get a way cheaper price than their competitors and 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 um uh, Burger King would like to know how much they're paying right this is an important business secret right that 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 neither McDonald's nor Heinz would like to give up but if it's done on the blockchain 
everybody can basically tell how much it is. So this makes it really almost unusable sort of uh, for for um, people to use the blockchain. And then there's the whole sort of, you know, if you're, say, uh, you're a political dissident, right? Or you say you're, you know... Um, you're somehow, you know, you, you don't want the government to know your, your, your payments. Like, even if then they can, you know, they can see who you're paying to, right? And, and you say you're sending money to, to Snowden, right? In, in, in Russia, then, uh, you know, if the U.S. government can see that, 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 that may be a problem because they don't like that. And, uh, for all of these reasons, we would like to hide all of this information, right? We would like to hide who's paying whom and and also you know sometimes you don't care about hiding who's paying whom and then you would still like to hide how much you're paying and i think sort of the best example for that is is you know there's in in the us there's the, the popular payment service venmo um where you can pay people which is really popular and even there there you can choose whether you want to make your payment who you're paying you whether you want to make that public But sort of the default is like, or you can't even change sort of, you, you can never sort of show how much you're paying because no one would want that, right? Like you, you wouldn't want to, you know, let the public know how much, uh, you're paying your buddy for rent, right? This is just sort of not, this seems very naturally like we don't want this information out in the public. But in Bitcoin and in, in, in most of the cryptocurrencies, it is. So zero knowledge proofs are sort of the workhorse here that can help us uh, prevent this because you now want to prove, right, it's this, this dichotomy that you want to have the transaction be private. So you use, say, encryption to hide some of this information, but you still want everybody to be able to check which transactions are valid and what is not. So here, this is where zero knowledge proof systems come in. I can prove to you that the transaction is valid without telling you why. So bulletproofs, like you mentioned, it's sort of uh, driven a little bit by the Bitcoin core developers and uh, can be used to implement confidential transactions on Bitcoin. Yeah. And I think they were actually sort of the main thing that what they were thinking about is, is Mimblewimble, um, which is a new blockchain design, like a very sort of simple, in some ways simple, but beautiful blockchain design, like a, a sort of minimal um, which also uses confidential transactions uh, at the core of it. And, and you know, lots of people have been, been working on that and there's been a lot of interest in that. And, uh, you know, th there they were. Uh, Mimblewimble allows you to sort of shrink the size of the blockchain a lot. But then they were like, yeah, we can shrink all of that. But what we're left with is, is sort of these confidential transactions. And currently, before Bulletproofs, they were, you know, eight or 10 kilobytes or whatever per transactions. And and now with bulletproofs you can get that down to like, you know, less than a kilobyte, and uh, it really it depends on the parameters, right? Like you know, it, it can shrink by uh, like a factor of ten or or even more, um, and that made it a lot more feasible. Yeah, so that's what I was uh, gonna ask: is like, where do you see implementations of bulletproofs, and like, what what do you see now? And what do you expect to see in the future? Like, which specific projects? do you think will implement anything? So uh, right now, um, so Monero has implemented bulletproofs and they will sort of, uh, because they already use confidential transactions. Um, and for them, it was just a clear win. You know, it's it's sort of faster, it's smaller than what they previously used. It will um, lower the fees that Monero users will have to pay. Um, so they've 
they're doing security audits right now. They've done security audits and and um, to make sure that the implementation is correct. Right? There's always two things. You know, there's sort of the the theory behind it being correct, but then you can implement it and you can screw that up like massively. And that's where actually a lot of the the problems in in, in computer security come from is is sort of bad implementations or or faulty implementations. Um, so they've done you know a lot of work on on, on making sure that that is 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 correct, and uh, then they will deploy it. I think they will try to deploy it this year. So sort of you know within a year of of, of publishing the paper, uh, uh, you know bulletproofs will secure. I don't know how much. Monero's worth like a billion dollars. I don't know either. What about what about something like Zcash? It already has. I mean, it's all it's built very much around zk snarks. Mm-hmm. Is there a way for zk? Like, would it make sense for Zcash to also be using Bulletproof? Yeah. So that's a that's a very good question. So we've, um, I guess you know, we saw each other at Zcon Zero, and and they presented Bulletproofs because uh, they're certainly interested in it, right? And and. For Zcash is it's not as clear cut as for Monero. For Monero, it makes it's clearly better to use bulletproofs. For Zcash, there's a trade-off. So basically, using bulletproofs would make verifying the transaction and checking the transactions uh, so it would make the work for the miners uh, more difficult, but it would remove the trusted setup. Um, so there is sort of the trade-off and. They are like I think it just requires more ex- exploration. I, I don't know what the answer is. You know, I think it, it depends on many, many different things. Um, but I think it's definitely worth worth exploring. And and you know, I've 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 been in contact with them, uh, sort of you know exploring that idea. What about you mentioned Mimblewimble? Are they also going to be using bulletproofs, or is it? Are, do they already have sort of enough confidentiality built into the no they protocol? no so 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 um. Mimblewimble already uses a, a, a zero knowledge proof, a so-called like basically it's 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 called a Sigma protocol, um, or closely related to something called a Sigma protocol, and or the the original design is I mean Mimblewimble doesn't exist yet. Sort of there's um, Mimblewimble was just a, a for a sort of historical reference. Uh, it's actually a great story. Uh, there it was this random guy that just dropped the link on, on one of these these IRC channels, like, you know, uh, um, a Tor network link, sort of a hidden link. And um, this guy was named, what was it called? It was like the French name for uh, Jedusor something. It was like the French name uh, for Tom Riddle from Harry Potter, um, which... We know how old this person is for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, and uh, the 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 name has to be Elvis Jedersor because, right? Like Tom Riddle is like a, um, you know, you can make I am Voldemort out of sort of these things. I don't know, and and just we, uh, you know, sort of in the French version, the name had to be different. Either way, so the, uh, this is where all of this came up, uh, and this guy just, you know, anonymous. We don't know who he is. Like just like Satoshi, he just dropped sort of this this new design of a blockchain called Mimblewimble, which is also a spell from Harry Potter. It's like all very Harry Potter themed. Yeah. Um, so you know, he just dropped this design, which which turned out to to actually be a, a quite neat idea. Um, and then you know, other people like Andrew Poelstra, for example, have have sort of 
kept dr driving that idea forward and formalizing it. And um, yeah, so they use zero knowledge uh, a zero knowledge proof, and um, the sort of the best one for them available is is also bulletproof. So they will oh, wow. uh, they will use. I mean, I, I'm I'm pretty sure that any sort of reasonable implementation of the protocol should use. Use bulletproofs. Would they do something like take bulletproofs and run with it? Will it change? Will they change it? Um, no, I think they should basically okay. just you know take take it and run with it. You know, you sort of there's I don't know you know what they will do for their implementation, whether they will implement it in code themselves or whether they will take one of the existing implementations. I, I honestly don't 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 know how that's going to work. But um, you know, in general, when you when you design sort of these systems, you just, you shouldn't, you know, it's better to not design it with like one specific, you should just design it like to say like, here, I need a zero knowledge proof. Mm -hmm. And then later, you know, you can pick the one that is best, right? It should be sort of there's a, you, you shouldn't say, you know, Zcash, like zero cash, the, the is based on an academic work. And there they also say like, you know, we use a zero knowledge proof to 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 create this so they already had sort of this abstraction in mind and then they say sort of the best one that we can use to make this practical is is zk snarks right but you know they already sort of acknowledged that you could use any zero knowledge proof to do this and so this sort of speaks to something currently like we've talked about a few different um protocols blockchains and how they're using these different zero knowledge proofs so these mm -hmm different zero-knowledge proof systems, but they're not necessarily tied to each other. Like, they're interchangeable. Yeah, exactly, right? Like, you know, one is sort of the... This is like, like you know, saying, you know, I think the Bitcoin Bitcoin is mostly written in C, and I think, you know, the main Ethereum client is, is like, one of them is written in Go and, you know, whatever. But, like, you know, <laughs> Bitcoin and C have, like, you know, that's not, you know, th those are just completely orthogonal things and and... and um, Ethereum Go or whatever, or like I don't know, Rust or, you know, the, the, those are just you know one is a tool and the other one is is sort of the application and uh, they're you know I think yeah they're interchangeable at least to some degree right like you know it might make the most sense to use one with another and that's clearly the case but there's sort of still you know I think having this this abstraction and keeping those things separate I think is really important and and not get those things sort of conflated with each other. And, um, yeah, you were also saying sort of, I want to say one, one other thing you were saying earlier, you know, how, uh, which projects are currently using it and which projects might be using it. I really hope that, you know, in the future, sort of everyone, like right now there's privacy coins, right? There's like Monero and, and, and Zcash that sort of the focus is on privacy. I really hope that sort of, you know, that they, that privacy will become the default. That sort of everyone will have at least sort of some level of privacy, at least like confidential transactions, like that should be the norm rather than the uh, the, the the exception, right? Because the problem right now, if you're using Monero Zcash, um, to some degree, like you might get asked, like, why are you using this? Are you using this to to buy buy drugs, right? You know, you you sort of like you make yourself almost more suspicious by just using these coins, even if you're just using them for your everyday payments. Which is sort of a bad state, but if sort of this becomes the if privacy is the default, um, which I think in general should be the norm, then you know it it everybody benefits from it. This, it becomes a public good, 
um, where where sort of everybody has has the benefits of of you know not being you know suspicious and just saying like hey I'm you know this is sort of what what happened when WhatsApp became uh, and like you know and, and Signal and sort of all of these messages became end to end encrypted. Now you don't have to. Be, previously, there were were also end to end encrypted messengers, but suddenly, as soon as you use that, you know, you probably got put on some CIA list. I don't know, making things up here. But yeah, now, yeah. if it becomes the default and everybody uses it and everybody expects it, and that's a great thing, you know. So um, I, I hope we see that for sort of transactions also becoming private, private um, in the future. But you know, I, I think this will still take a couple of years. So at the beginning of this episode, I said, like, we're talking about bulletproofs and maybe some other things. You obviously work on a lot of other things than bulletproofs, even though that's been the main topic here. Could you give us just like the quick pitch on what other stuff you have going? Yeah. So so one thing that, that I focus on or we focus on sort of recently has been uh, these things called verifiable delay functions. And this is something, you know, very uh, technical, which has a lot of surprising applications. So what is a verifiable delay function? So in a nutshell, it's just a function that takes a long time to compute, no matter whether you're Amazon and have a bunch of like data centers, or whether you have an ASIC, or whether you're just on a single computer. The, the idea is that you cannot speed it up, and why can you not speed it up? because you cannot use parallelism. It's a sort of sequential function. So you compute one step after another. And the way that, you know, ASIC speed things up is by parallelizing things massively. So verify with lay function is a, t- a function that takes a long time to compute. But it's easy, once you've done it, it's easy to check that you've computed it correctly. So, you know, sort of maybe inverting it is, is really, really fast. So why, like, why in the world would I, why, would I care about this? Well, it lets you sort of, you know, it has has a lot of applications where, um, you know, for example, I can prove to you that I this blockchain has existed for a long, long time, right? And the way that I do that is I just take sort of, you know, or this block has existed for, you know, 10 minutes. And the way that I do this is I take the block chain and then I compute a verify with lay function. And if I give you a verifiable delay function that, you know, you sort of know how long it will take me to compute, you know, like it's, it's sort of almost like a clock, you know, it's, it's not an exact clock, but it almost is like that. And if I so, sort of if I give you a verifiable delay function off of it and, and, you know, you know, it took me 10 minutes to compute, then you know that this block must have existed 10 minutes ago. So uh, I can use this to, for example, you know, prevent in, in these proof of stake protocols like there's one attack where you know create a sort of blockchain out of thin air from from the beginning i like you know because now suddenly it doesn't take me it doesn't take proof of work anymore like you know it's not expensive to create a proof of stake chain aka a long-range attack exactly a long-range attack is, is sort of the name and and with the vdf you know that's one way to for example prevent that because you know that you know I need to, if I have this VDF running on this blockchain, I know, you know that, okay, this blockchain must have existed a year ago, right? This must have existed two years ago. But checking, you know, computing the function takes two years, but checking it is like milliseconds. And another really, really cool application that was maybe our, our initial motivation is that it comes from, from lotteries. And 
So there's this idea that you can use sort of Bitcoin and it doesn't actually even have to be Bitcoin. It's like, you know, say I want to run a lottery. Okay. Um, and you should all Google this video on, I think it's a Romanian lottery where the, the, uh, you know, usually the way that we run lotteries is like we have these public drawings, right? You know, someone draws some balls and, uh, out of, out of, you know, like whatever this, this tube or this, this, uh, spinning thing. And you can see sort of this, this, um, they're, they're drawing the balls and you can see that three balls have been drawn. But sort of on the, on the digital display, it shows like five balls, right? And then, and the reporter is like really confused because she also sees that. And even though it's a live ball drawing. And then the next two balls come sort of out of the thing. And surprise, surprise, they're the exactly the same balls that have been shown, that they were shown on the digital thing before. So, you know, maybe they sort of rigged the system and, and someone got really lucky and won the lottery, you know, like really lucky. Um, and they just sort of messed up the graphics on the thing. And how can we, you know, trust these drawings? How can, you know, you know, or if, if you shuffle cards, right, you know, there's sleight of hands and there's magicians that can do things. So the question is, like, how can we run the lottery where everybody can trust the randomness, you know, without having, again, a trusted party? You know, this is, again, where a trusted party makes the thing easy. You know, if you have a trusted party that tells you a random number or that rolls, you know, a dice and does it correctly, then then everything's good. But maybe we don't want to trust anyone. And and these lotteries, you know, they come up all the time. For example, in smart contracts, you might have sort of random, like every time, you know, randomness comes into play. And the idea was that, you know, you can, for example, take, you can take a block header and extract some randomness from it. Or you can like also take, you know, another one is you can guess on tomorrow's NBA games, right? Um, and say like, you know, whatever, you know, I, I'll, I'll, you know, the scores of the NBA games, they will sort of determine the digits of the random number. The problem is that, you know, in an NBA game, like, you know, I can bl- bribe the players, I can bribe the refs in, in sort of a blockchain, I can bribe the miners to, you know, whenever the block header doesn't give me good randomness, they will throw it away. You know, they will sort of decide to, you know, when say we do a billion dollar coin flip d- determined on, on, you know, the the block header, like, you know, I'll just take, you know, uh, take up a loan of a million dollars and bribe the 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 uh, the miners until I get, you know, I get get heads and, and win the billion dollars. So that sort of doesn't really work. And the idea is that you can now use a verifiable delay function by sort of saying, OK, we'll take. We'll take the scores from the NBA games, or we'll take the block headers. And then on top of that, we'll, you know, compute an hour long delay or a day long delay. And then only, then and only then, you know, this will be sort of the random number. Ah. And what that means is that it's impossible. It's impossible because, you know, I don't know which numbers will be good for me because I haven't been able, I wasn't able to compute this, this VDF, verifiable delay function on top of it. So how will I, um, you know, how do I know who to bribe or what to do? And, you know, I can, uh, the, the NBA games will be over by the time the verifiable delay functions, uh, by the time how I, I know how to influence the scores, the, the sort of the game will be over and, uh, or the games will be over. So that's, that's sort of where a verifiable delay function can be used. To, to run a lottery, you know, and, and this has many applications again in proof of stake where, 
where again, right, like in a proof of stake, so things are a little bit more complicated, but, but there I basically need to pick random, you know, some random people, people randomly who are the next sort of block validators, right? You know, everybody has some, some stake and then one of them or uh, some of them need to, are the next leaders. And and how do I pick them? For that, I need good randomness. And here, sort of a VDF can can help. Yeah. So in proof of stake systems, uh, like you say, there's a problem, and like the problem is not the consensus algorithm. Like you can have PBFT that's been around for a really long time. The problem is if you have a validator set of ten thousand, you can't run PBFT among ten thousand people. So you need to choose some subsets, and that that's the hard problem. Uh, but you also have a bunch of other hard problems, which is essentially like Sybil resistance, which were mm-hmm. what we were talking about before. Um, so yeah, that's that's a, an aspect of it that I'm really interested in is using delay functions as a Sybil resistance mechanism. Mm-hmm. Maybe just to wrap up, let's go back to Bulletproofs for a second. What's the future of Bulletproofs? What are you working on next? You know, I, I hope sort of one future will be a, a lot more people uh, using it. Sort of also maybe, you know, people developing new libraries to make the usage of it easier. And then, you know, there's still interesting academic questions. You know, how can we make sort of the, the time to check the proof? Can we sort of bring that down? You know, is there, uh, can we make the proofs even smaller? You know, so can we, you know, combine proof systems in, in some crazy way to, to sort of get new properties? And so both on like the sort of, side can we improve the proof system and can we find also new applications you know can we say here's this this problem and now we can solve this really nicely um using zero knowledge proofs or using bullet proofs um so that's sort of you know the questions that that i'm interested in and i really really hope that other people are going to work on you also mentioned that um, there's a conference coming up that you were a little yeah. excited about. Do you want to yeah, share that? Yeah, I definitely want to uh, pitch that. So we have um, the Stanford Blockchain Conference, uh, or formerly known as, as BPACE, um, which is, so the third edition is going to come up in, uh, I think it's January 30th. And right now you can submit academic papers. So it's an academic conference on blockchain research. What's so it called? The Stanford Blockchain Conference. Just Google that and you will find it. Or I think it's cyber.stanford.edu slash SBC 19. So, you know, you, right now there's sort of the submission process of academic papers and we'll select the best papers and presentations um, that will then get presented at, at the conference. And you can still, you can also attend it. Um, I'm, I don't know what, I'm sure it's going to be cheap. Um you know, so it's it's not about, you know, like sort of it, it's going to be very academic and, and really trying to sort of push on, on the edge of, of research and, and sort of the cutting edge research is, is hopefully going to be presented there. And this is all part of the, you know, so Stanford announced that or the computer science department or announced the the um, Center for Blockchain Research. Uh, what this basically is, is, is sort of a, a concerted effort into blockchain research uh, by you know, professors from the computer science department and also, you know, some some uh, lawyers uh, from the law school. And so I think, you know, that that they have, you know, sort of noticed blockchains, which I'm excited about and, and sort of are, are uh, noticed that it's interesting from an academic point of view cool. and, and are trying to, you know, sort of push the cutting edge. Uh, yeah. Well, I think on that note, thank you so much for sitting down with us and exploring this sort of advanced 
zero knowledge proof system bulletproofs and helping <laughs> us get inside it. Um, I think it's been really informative. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you very much. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.